And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very good morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience and our Facebook Live audience. Stan the Fan here, along with Adam Gladstone, who's going to be co-hosting with me for the first hour of the program. Here's what we've got for you this morning. We'll get reaction from Craig Heist of 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. He's also my normal co-host here. He's down at College Park readying for the Ohio State-Maryland game today at, I think it's 12 noon, isn't it? Kyle? Yeah, I believe that to be true. All right. Uh, we'll also hear from the host of the Glenn Clark Radio Show, who works with this guy, Kyle Ottenheimer, every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, he will give us uh, his opinion of the Orioles hire, Mike Elias, as executive vice president, assistant general manager. We'll then have an interview I was able to do yesterday with Marty Conway, a Georgetown uh, professor who teaches sports media uh, and has followed and worked in baseball for a long time with both the Orioles, Texas Rangers, and he worked with Facebook for, uh, not Facebook, AOL AOL, for a long time, Uh, a sports consultant. He's going to talk to us about the possibility that the end of the Masson dispute is in in um, in play and then we'll also talk to at astro terry columbia maryland born at u.s astronaut terry verts is going to join us and there's a very special reason terry lives in houston while a lifelong orioles fan he contacted me through marty bass about a year and a half ago and told me then this is before the orioles sort of cratered out you know they were still pretty good he was telling me They've got to hire a guy like this, Jeff Luno, and these guys here. I know all of them. So we'll talk to him. We'll see what he knows about Sig Majdal, who is supposedly the next in line to join the Oriole front office. And lastly, we'll end up, and by the way, uh, Adam Gladstone will be gone at 11 o'clock. I'll still be here. Kyle Ottenheimer will still (laughs) be here. And then at 11.35, is Charlie Steinberg will join us. Charlie worked for the Baltimore Orioles back in the late 70s and through the 80s um, and uh, was part of the 83 uh, evening with the 83 Orioles the other night at um, the Renaissance Harbor Place and it was put on by the folks at the Babe Ruth Museum birthplace and Sports Boosters of Maryland, 900 people strong there. I know you heard it was a pretty good event. I was there. I heard it was a great event. I mean, anytime you can bring back guys from from the 83 World Series and and the fans can uh, celebrate again, and and not only the fans, but I heard a lot of reports that the players coming back together. I mean, let me tell you something. When, When you win something, when you win the final game of the year and you do it at that level, it's pretty special anytime, but but I think you're bringing Charlie Steinberg back to talk dental issues because I know you've, you've I've run had into a lot of issues. dental issues over the last month. Uh, I'm a little concerned about <laughs> them. I'm sorry you brought them up. Now he's also got a very interesting endeavor in front of him. Uh, he's the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and he's worked with Larry Lucchino, who's the primary owner of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and they've been in Pawtucket since what back in the 20s or sure. 30s. Um, they are moving 
In 2021, they will be playing in a new ballpark in Worcester, Massachusetts. They've got a name contest, name the name the team contest going on uh, on the internet right now. So, Kyle, you could I, I don't could, know I what you get. One. You could uh, you know the I'm Worcester, pretty in, I'm pretty the Worcester Kyles. You know the Worcester Kyles this could be my claim to fame. That's right, the Worcester K- KOs. How about that? <laughs> anyway, uh, so we got an exciting show in store for you. I turn to Adam Gladstone. He's well connected in the world of baseball. I want both your opinion of the Mike Elias hire and what you're hearing from people you know in the game. You know, everybody that I've talked to in the game certainly is excited about the fact that a person with the background of a Mike Elias wants to take the job here in Baltimore. And we we really, when you when you check the boxes for what organizations are looking for these days, Mike checks those boxes. And, and I don't want everybody to, to be concerned about the fact, thinking that this is going to be 100% analytics, because Mike Elias isn't a true analytics guy. He's, he's, a he's, got, he's a guy who's a scout right. who respects greatly what these analytics people can bring to the table. Exactly. And, and you and I have talked about this. There have been a ton of hires recently where the analytics component has been the priority for why they got that role, either being in the front office or being on the coaching staff. And what Mike does is Mike's a guy that's been on the road 200 days a year, so he actually sees the players. He's a guy that when these analytics – formulas are are being shown to the respective players he's the one that's out there that's actually saying does it work with these guys based on what we've given them can they now produce at the major league level so you know he he really touches like i said he checks all the boxes for the club uh and what they were looking for and let's not let's not forget that if peter angelos was still making the decisions i'm not 100 percent sure that mike elias is the guy that gets the job what we're seeing is we're seeing that you know, it's it's becoming a younger game. Uh, John and Lou Angelos are the ones, the younger Angeloses that are making the call right now. They're, they might be a little bit more attuned to what is going on in the game of baseball. Um, I know that there was a lot of frustration here in Baltimore during the process to determine who their GM or president was going to be. And Kind nope. of at the pace of play, that it, how long yeah. it was seemed to be taking. And, and just nobody knew. And yep. you know what that is? That's a testament to the fact that, and as Buck used to say this, if you win, they will come, and there's no better place in baseball to play when you're winning than here in Baltimore. Quick question. Last night I'm driving around. I was leaving this event that Todd Karpovich had over at Calvert Hall. Uh, they, they they threw a nice little get-together for Todd and some of his friends as a book signing for Mark Amatucci, his new book that Kyle uh, that Todd uh, wrote part of. Not Kyle. Todd, what can I say? Todd, a busy man. Todd, multitasking yeah, over Todd there. Karpovich. Um, and it was there, and I'm driving over to have dinner with my wife and Gary Stein and his wife, and we're driving over, and I turn on XM Radio, and they had John Mioli on from the Baltimore Sun. And I'm not poking aspersions uh, uh, at John. John's take was that they wanted to hire somebody like this when they hired Dan Duquette. And he said they tried to hire, and nobody would take the job. I don't recall them talking to any of these kind of, you know, statistically scout-driven guys. I remember Tony LaCava. I remember they talked to DePoto, but they, they were much more in the old school guys that they were talking to at the time. The, the Oriole opportunity was not a viable or an enviable opportunity for many people in the game because right. of the history of 
the interjection of ownership at any given time. It is what it is. Yep. I think what we're starting to see now, now it was it was explained to me before Buck and Dan were let go that the hope was that the club was going to find that person because John and Lou and the Angelos family want to be stewards of the club. They want to hand it off to someone that can run the baseball and have the autonomy to run the baseball operation. And that hadn't been done in the past. We're now at that opportunity where we're going to see if Mike Elias can be that guy. Yeah, I I think uh, Oriole fans are pretty excited about it. Now, you know how this all works uh, within baseball teams. This, this name we've heard bandied about as the analytics guy who would probably come here and be kind of the director. He would have the ability to kind of start from scratch almost, creating an analytics department. Zig Mazedahl, and we're going to talk to Terry Verts about him in 1120. He's a NASA-trained scientist. Could you imagine the conversations between those two guys? I, no, I cannot. I cannot. Uh, Kyle and I have good, good uh, conversations Absolutely. about eating, you know, eating yeah. out. Important stuff. Important stuff. But anyway, if Sig Mejdal was still technically an employee of the Houston Astros, they would have had to ask permission from the Astros to either talk to him or let him go. His contract expired at the end of October. Does that mean that Mejdal can, almost like a free agent, join the Orioles, and perhaps uh, Mike Elias would be allowed to cherry-pick one other guy? Well, if you go How back... How does that work? Well, if, you go, if you're under contract to a club, obviously you have to ask permission of that club to just have a conversation Correct. with the guy to gauge interest. Has that interest probably already been gauged before that, even if you're under contract? Absolutely, because yeah. people talk in the game. But in a situation like this, uh, Sig had already told Jeff Lunau that he was not going to re-up after right. October 31st. Maybe he knew some things were coming down the pike. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he needed to change the scenery. But if you go back, and, and if history repeats itself, when David Stearns left the Astros organization and went over to Milwaukee, Jeff Lunau said, no, you're not you allowed to take You don't take anybody. anybody. Okay. So the fact is, is that Sig's available. He's a free agent. I would be shocked, depending on the guys that Mike Elias would like to bring over from – Houston, um, and the other caveat is clubs, for the most part, unless you're the Baltimore Orioles in yesteryear, if you are being given an opportunity to be promoted with another organization, they let you, they'll let you explore that opportunity. Right. Which so, is what happened with Dan Duquette. Now, it sounds like the correct protocol wasn't handled correctly back then, but that's water under the bridge. Correct. By the way, I want to remind everybody that is listening or watching on Facebook Live to please like us on Facebook and share us on Facebook. Have you both done that? Have you both done that? I have not. I will Kyle, open up my Kyle Facebook. Has not done that. Because it really, then we have access to all of your friends and contacts. Sure, sure. Sorry. Kyle, I want to get your take. Uh, usually, Brittany Everett is in your seat. She's had a couple things to do at Towson over the past couple weeks. You pretty juiced about the, the uh, signing here? Absolutely. Um, I mean, realistically, you can only... You can only be so excited about the signing of a general manager, but I don't think there's any general manager that would garner more excitement. Um, in the research I've done, there are a couple really great interviews on Fangraphs with Mike Elias, one from 2014, one from 2017. The first one talking primarily, it's about prospects in general. Um, the second one is more pitcher-centric. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but the message is consistent, and that's ultimately part of it, is that he says every level of the organization needs to be in tune. Uh, their scouts need to be walking in line with their development guys at every step of the minor leagues. They need to be identifying players that do the things that they're trying to do in yep. that development there's system a, there's well. There's a grand vision, right. and everybody needs Set to Set everybody up for success, and it's not as simple as saying, we like this prospect in a vacuum. No, like there's... If this pitcher has a delivery that is slightly less risky, they will probably value them more. But he also said there's never a point where they're not going to take somebody. No players are completely off the board. Everybody has a point for them where they're willing to take that risk. And it's just an, a smart approach to organizing an, a team. Um, the analytics are long overdue. Yep. Mejdal is somebody who appears to be more than just praised in this industry. He appears to be at the forefront. So it's everything the Orioles needed. I wanted to ask you, how much if Mejdal does join the Baltimore Orioles organization, what has me excited about this, but for somebody that's worked in the game, and you know Andy McPhail pretty well, you know uh, Ned Rice, you know Matt Klintak, how much does it help that these guys have worked together in the past and there's a shorthand there that you don't have to take time explaining certain things. Well, obviously, with everything that, that Mike Elias does beginning Monday after the 11 o'clock press conference right. is is going to be as accelerated as he can possibly do. You and I have had this conversation. Is he being is he going to be given a pass for the first year because of timing? Um, the great thing about having a guy like Sig is the Orioles, I've lived it, I saw it, there is a group of guys that work in the clubhouse, that work in the analytics, and the direction was never great mm -hmm. from the front office down there. I think what you're going to see right now is you're going to see a much more cohesive unit. I think everything is going to be built. Look, we saw a bloodletting of employees go to set up to this point so yep. that whenever this new guy comes in, Mike now gets the opportunity to cherry pick and, and hand pick the right guys in the right situations. That wasn't always done before without outside influence. Do you see a path for somebody we know pretty darn well, and that is Dean Albany, one of the Orioles scouts. Do you see him and one other guy, Brian Graham, do you see them both? Uh, is there a place for both of them within this new regime? I mean, I would be – nothing would surprise me in the game anymore, but I would be shocked with what the, um, the information – that those guys bring. Um, Brian Grant touches on a lot of different areas of the game, on-field, off-field, uh, player development, player procurement. Uh, Dean, with his scouting background, you know, Mike Elias is not going to be able to just let everybody go who's still there right. and assume that he's going to have a staff in place to be able to pull off some of the things that they need to do right. based on the, the timelines that MLB has established for letting guys like Caleb Joseph know whether or not they're going to resign him come Tuesday. Um, so it comes to that point where there's going to be some core guys, and, and, and I think ownership has, has probably explained, hey, look, ultimately you're going to make the call, but here are some guys that are going to help you with this transition. Trip Norton, you know Trip, you sure. like him, he's a friend. Mm -hmm. He's kind of almost like, a, a, using a, an Astro analogy, he's kind of like a Marwin Gonzalez who Utility. can play, uh, play and, and do a nice job wherever he plays. You think he fits in? You know, I, I think Trip uh, Trip knows where the bodies are buried, and I think that that's that's helpful. Um, he's obviously thought of highly by the Angelos family, and that's certainly going to play well. 
Um, but I would I would assume that all three of those guys have the ability to stay unless they start to feel that they don't see the future with the organization for them to stay uh, with the club. But they all bring something to the table right now. And, I mean, let's. there's not many left standing over there. So those guys bring something to the table that can be very helpful in the short-term period. And I think all of those guys, I know for a fact, all of those guys care about the club, care about the organization, and want to be able to provide an opportunity to help because they've all seen what it can be like here. All right, again, let me set the stage of the show. We'll make our connection with Craig Heist, normally a co-host here on the program. He also does sports with 106.7 The Fan in D.C., and he also does some stuff on Masson as well. Glenn Clark of the Glenn Clark Radio Show will join us at 1045, 11 o'clock. We've got a nice taped interview with Marty Conway discussing the possible end to the Masson dispute and its impact on the club and its impact on the network. At 1120, I'm really excited, at Astro Terry, Terry Verts, Columbia, Maryland-born astronaut, U.S. astronaut, who lives in Houston, knows Mike Elias, knows Jeff Luno, knows Sig Maisdahl, and Sig is, again, a NASA-trained scientist. Um, he knows how to put rocket ships into the air. Seems like... Uh, finding a way to get uh, a Ryan Flaherty with an afterburner on him, maybe he'll be able to do that. I can't, honestly, I can't fathom a conversation between Terry Verts and Sig Maydell. I, like I, I would, my brain would shut off. Maybe they just, maybe they talk about food and stuff like that. For all we know, they want to shut their analytic minds off when they yeah. hang out, but they probably Chances talk about picking their nose and farting just like we do. If they were to choose to In have a conversation. the formula of those words. Yes. If they wanted to have a conversation that would make us leave the room. They could do it in a They second. could do it. There's no question <laughs> about it. Hey, and finally, in the last 20 minutes of the program, former Oriole PR director, and he worked for the club in a lot of different capacities. He then went with Larry Lucchino to San Diego, then to Boston. Then he worked for Commissioner Seelig, went back to Boston. He's now the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox. He was in town for the uh, 83 reunion, the 35th anniversary of the Orioles' last World Series. I think we all... In Baltimore, uh, listen, I'm not giddy to the point where I think all of a sudden June 1st is going to be a surprise team in the, in, the, in the hunt. This is going to be a bad baseball team for the next two years. The hope would be by about 2021, you're starting to see a little light at the end of that tunnel, and we have an entertaining, young, smart baseball team on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to see that now. I mean, I think you, you started to see that in Atlanta. And Atlanta kind of uh, accelerated their process. You start to see that. You started to see that in Philadelphia. That started to accelerate the process. So, um, you look. I, I'm a big believer. And you know, I saw uh, a comment by Richard Blyer yeah. in the paper yesterday where he said, "Look, we're eventually going to have 25 major league baseball players on the field, and we're going to play against 25 other major league baseball players on the field." That being said, are these guys going to be a little bit younger and a little bit more raw? Yes, but I'm a big believer, if you have talent, anything can happen on any given day, and it's going to really go into... Um, I think Adam stole my call sheet. Oh, no, I took it right out of the trash. Oh, okay. Just so you know, but I can give it to you. Here. Is that... Um, oh. So anyway, um, I, I was the wrong. manager. <laughs> the manager is going to play into that, and the manager is going to have to be somebody that can motivate and explain big picture and 
also, because I'm going to tell you right now, every Major League Baseball player that I've ever been a part of is hugely competitive. And those guys want to win immediately. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah, you're doing it at the Major League level, but those guys want to play, and they want to play on a good club now. So that manager's going to have to give them the opportunity to say, hey, listen, let's go out there, throw the balls and bats on the field. Anything can happen. We're working towards being a competitive, consistent competitive club. All right. That's Adam Gladstone. He's with me for the first hour. Joining us now is the man who usually is in that seat, but he's got uh, duties today out at College Park. Craig, what time is uh, game time for Maryland, Ohio State? High noon. High noon. What is, the, what is the spread in this game? I'm guessing Ohio State's like about a nine and a half. Fourteen, right? Fourteen. Uh, I believe that is exactly what it is. It's fourteen? Uh, I think so, but it's, you know, like I said, you know, with the defense being the way it is for both teams, uh, if, if Maryland can put up a decent defensive effort today, uh, they can at least hang around for a while, I would think. With the size of the um, uh, Ohio State alumni here in the state of Maryland and Northern Virginia and Baltimore, uh, you think there's going to be a big crowd out there today for that game? Uh, I think it'll be sizable, uh, probably better than what they've drawn uh, earlier this year for certain games stand. But again, uh, you know, when you look at the situation that Maryland's football program is in right now and the way they've had to battle through a lot of things, uh, you'd, you'd kind of like to see the the, the the hometown faithful, if you will, yeah. come on out and support this team because, I mean, let's face it, they've got Ohio State this weekend and then they've got Penn State up at Happy Valley next weekend uh, still needing that one win to become bowl eligible. So if they could do that with everything that they've been through this year uh, off the football field, uh, you'd have to feel real good about these kids and for these kids if they were able to somehow get bowl eligible. Craig, it's Adam. How are you? Hey, good. What's up, Adam? Good. I know uh, I definitely uh, stand downgraded by having me in, but I know you pull uh, double duty on days like today. Hey, before we before we get into to the Orioles, I wanted to ask you a quick Nationals question. Yeah. One, one of the one of the transactions that occurred shortly after the season ended was um, Bob Miller's contract not being renewed. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, Bob Miller is a guy that is um, an expert when it comes to contract contract negotiation, the way that the game is played, rules and and, and guidelines. Where first of all. Did you see that as that was kind of like a slap on the hand of Mike Rizzo from ownership saying, hey, listen, here's a guy that I know he's one of your guys. We're not happy with the way things are right now. This is your pound of flesh. That's the first question. And the second one is where does a guy like Bob Miller end up and could he be a fit in the new organization here in Baltimore? It's possible. And uh, I was thinking about that earlier, Adam, that it could, could be that way. Uh, but again, a lot of this just de- depends on what Ilias feels and what he's going to bring with him, if anybody, uh, you know, from the Astros organization. Uh, but you're right about the, the way that all ended up in Washington with him is the fact that uh, it's certainly an, an ownership decision and certainly one that, from all indication, Mike Rizzo was not happy about. So, I mean, that said... Uh, it was a disappointing year in terms of the fact that they didn't, you know, achieve what they wanted to, and they played below expectation. Uh, but for, from from the organizational standpoint, uh, it, you know, there's no question about it. Mike Rizzo was not happy about it, and 
uh, you know, where they go from here, I don't know. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how and how this affects the club going forward and how it affects really some of the things that Mike is going to do. We're talking with Craig Heist. Uh, Craig uh, covers the Orioles and the Nationals, and he's also covering the University of Maryland football team today out at College Park as they get ready for a 12 noon kickoff between the Buckeyes of Ohio State and the Terrapins. Craig, uh, and that's called that's called uh, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, listen, I know you're both a uh, independent, objective observer of these games, but you you, you know you like to. To, you, you'd prefer to work around a winning team as opposed to a losing team. It's a lot more fun, a lot easier for the media most of the time. Your thoughts when you heard the news brewing the last couple days about this hire? From the Orioles? Yes, the uh, Orioles. I, I, think, I mean, from everything uh, that we've read, that we've heard, I mean, this is a guy that uh, has, has, you know, Real good. He's got his hands on all the analytics of the game, which is the way it's going now, uh, and and has been for a few years. Uh, and 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 with what he was able to accomplish and do down and with the Astros, I mean, this is a this is a guy who was around for the for the hundred loss seasons down there, not much much less the World Championship season. So. You think about the you know guys like Correa and you know some of the other guys that are on that team and Bregman and you know all of them. You know, he's got his handprints on everything down there. So uh, I, I think that you know obviously it's a different situation for him. What he does up here, you know, he'll be judged by that by by Oriole fans. But in terms of resume, Stan and and everything else that goes with it, I can't see where this is a bad hire in any way shape or form if i'm an orioles fan i'm pretty ecstatic about this we're you're pretty good at reading the tea leaves do you <laughs> think this sig mejdal hire is sort of a fait accompli or do you think uh the, the media made it into something and and it might or might not happen well i i would have to say it's probably going to happen uh, just because of the inner workings between the two of them. Uh, you know, so from that standpoint, we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, I mean, let's face it, he's been given total autonomy to, to, to run this thing. So from that standpoint, I would, I would say that, you know, there's a good possibility that comes to fruition as well. Craig, with, with as you mentioned, the full autonomy and, and the fact that, all right, we're starting to knock the dominoes down now. We've got a, a, a executive vice president and general manager. We have the guy that's that's calling the shots. He's going to start filling out his his front office staff. Obviously, the next question, the next domino to fall is manager. The talk right now is obviously Joe Espada, uh, because of his relationship, is probably one of the front runners. And and everything I was led to believe was that talk has occurred with ownership of. Hey, if you get the job, here's a guy that I would like to consider. Is there anybody from, you know, for the Oriole fans here in town who don't know much about Joe Espada, let's talk about the former staff of, of Buck Show Walters and, and any of those guys within the organization that you think, A, get an opportunity to, to manage and, and B, deserve that opportunity, at least for an interview. Well, in terms of analytics and things of that nature and, and at least having a uh, a good sense of what's in the organization. 
uh, I would think Mike Bordick would be uh, somebody that they should at least interview and consider. Uh, whether that leads to that or not, I don't know. And uh, like you said, I don't know much about the other guy, but, uh, you know, my way of looking at it is Bordick's expressed an interest. He's already very close to the team. Uh, uh, I, I think he's got a handle on what's going on in terms of the analytics of the game now. Uh, and, and, and the way things are done at the major league level now. Uh, so I, I would really like to see Mike Bordick get an opportunity or at least an interview with this thing. And I, Stan and I have had him on the show before. He's expressed an interest in it. And, uh, you know, they could do a lot worse, I think. But uh, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, one other guy, and I'm not proposing him as a managerial candidate, but I got to talk to him the other day. Steve Molesky wrote a column. Actually, it was Rockabaco wrote a column about him. Former Orioles second baseman Rich Dower, who most recently worked in Houston for the Astros, and he um, sort of called it quits at the end of the 17 season. But he he's itching to get back to only one place, and that's Baltimore. Could you see a spot for him as either a base coach or a bench coach under under either under, under either a Bordick or an Espada? Yeah, I could certainly see that, Stan. But the you know the other part of that is uh, with the health issues that he had uh, and and the rigors of this job, the travel of the job. Uh, you'd wonder whether Mike uh, whether Richie Dower would really consider that. I think he wants to get back into it, but again, he knows, you know, what the lifestyle is, yep. and you know, from both ends, uh, as a player and also as a manager, coach type guy. Uh, I'm just wondering whether or not he's really ready for that grind. Hey, Craig, I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head with with his um, unfortunate uh, medical issue that occurred um, during the yeah. parade uh, in 2017. Let's let's go back to Mike Elias and, and realize Mike has to insulate himself, or sur- I don't want to say insulate, um, but surround himself <clears throat> with some older people in the game because yep. he's one of the younger guys. <laughs> the Orioles are also going to have to do a, a really good job of they can't bring in everybody outside the organization because it's going to be tough for the fan base to latch on to people, and, and it's still a fan game. That being said, a Rich Dower makes a great op- makes sense uh, for one of those – greatest job in baseball besides bench coach is is mm-hmm. is a special assistant yeah. and and allow him the flexibility to go to be in major league spring training to be able to go through the minor league system and instill instill some the of the Oriole things that way the, the new that Oriole was, way yeah. exactly well, and and also take into some of the old Oriole way mm-hmm. when things were good i mean he could be a great advocate for the organization well i think i think really that that's an excellent point and i really think that one of the things with a new regime coming in that they've really got to get back to, they have to understand about, you know, playing the game the right way, the fundamental way, and building it from within. Now, I mean, obviously the game's much different now than it was back in the 70s with Cal Sr. and, and even the 60s before that, uh, when, when, when guys came up through the organization and you didn't make the major league team unless you were absolutely ready. I mean, that's not the, the way it goes right now. I mean, you, a, lot, a lot of times you'll see guys brought up from double uh, A most of the time to, to fill spots on the major league roster. But there is something to be said for, for an organization that teaches the game right and that has, 
their players learn the fundamentals and not just at one level, but at all levels. And I think that's been sorely missing with this organization for a long time. We're talking with Craig Heist, who's down there at College Park getting ready for Maryland, hosting Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. Uh, again, we think it's about a 14-point spread. Craig, um, we'll talk down the road. Uh, appreciate your coming on for a few minutes with us and uh, sharing your thoughts on this uh, exciting hire and what might be next, all right? Well, and, and if they wanted to go old school, I mean, maybe we can talk them into hiring either me, Stan, or, or Adam. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, real, that's we, real old school. That's really old school. <laughs> all right. Adam, not so old school. You and me, way old school. All right, all right. Craigie, I'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, stand by. I think you were alluding to, though, and Craig went in a different direction with that answer that he had. You're you're mostly thinking of Bobby Dickerson, aren't you? If yeah, there's no. a spot for Bobby on this next staff or perhaps being a, a minor league manager with the Baltimore Oriole organization. You know, knowing, you know, after spending a lot of time with Bobby during the 2014 season and, and doing my homework on his background yeah. and how, he, how he's ascended to – Buck's right-hand guy, and and look, I was there, and I saw how hard he worked with Manny and 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 Scope and 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 Flash, and you know all the players. I mean, it wasn't just Manny Machado. Everybody got an opportunity to work with Bobby, and Bobby would work with them uh, as long and hard as they wanted to. And and I saw firsthand after Manny won his first Gold Glove, and he presented. I don't know how many people know this, but he presented Bobby with a, a Rolex and. You know, there were genuine tears that came out of Bobby's eyes because he appreciated being recognized. That being said, Bobby's been a manager at the minor league level for years, a successful one. He's managed over in, in the Dominican. Um, you know, he certainly knows the players. Um, and, and I think that in talking to a lot of the, the coaches, um, I think they're chomping at the bit to get back to being involved because – last year left a bad taste in their mouth and a lot of you know what's the what's the saying i mean i can probably say it on here but i won't but you know you can't make chicken salad out of chicken yep. poop and yep. you know they can only play with the cards you're dealt i think um dan when dan came out at the end he just you know and said that they they weren't that involved with analytics. I'm not. I don't buy it into that because they were presented all that information. All right, that's Adam Gladstone. He's going to stay with me till eleven o'clock. When we get back, we're going to be joined by Glenn Clark of the Glenn Clark Radio Show. We'll get his unique perspective on what the Elias signing means. Uh, got to tell you about Project Game Day. That's Pressbox Project Game Day. It's back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard post game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports, press box. Project Game Day, Facebook.com slash press box sports. Got to tell you about Big Bats. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to and from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch college football, pro football, 
uh, NCAA basketball, the Wizards, the Caps this time of year, O's and Nats during the summer. Great place to sample some of the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs, all fantastic, and you get to sit on a base. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app and while i've got your attention please remember chick-fil-a catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see steve at chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard tell him i sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask steve but he'll know someone who can help chick-fil-a one get food earn more free food respect it's more than a word in the u.s army it is one of our core values earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you... On my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. All right, we are back on the battle round, and we're going to make our connection with uh, Mr. Clark uh, coming up. Uh, and then we'll um, 
we'll uh, grab Marty Conway in, in just a couple moments. Uh, Marty Conway, uh, we actually taped the interview yesterday with Marty, uh, and it's, it's really not about Mike Elias. It's not about Mike Elias. It's, a, it's about the Masson dispute and the fact that uh, uh, an article by Ch- Chelsea James in the Washington Post uh, painted a picture that uh, this dispute could get settled very shortly. So I can't ask Marty Conway any questions? No, you can't. Okay. You'll be gone anyway. I'm just making you can sure. leave me a question, and I'll yeah. ask him the next time I see him gotcha. or talk to him. What, what are you here? I mean, obviously I don't want to spill the beans, but, I mean, if, if there's a settlement here, if there's a settlement and it's in favor of the Nationals, do could that have a effect on I'd the rather Orioles? let the interview play out because that's what we really touch on. Really? It really could impact greatly the um, it could impact greatly the um, the the network, whether the viability oh. and the uh, solvency of uh, Masson. Really, you know, it's Marty's opinion that there aren't the dollars necessary. Um, necessary to to operate that network if in fact that's all right he probably he might have forgotten we can we can just talk about this um he there might not be the necessary dollars there might not be the necessary dollars to uh to run the network and at that point in time it wouldn't be like mass would just go off the air it would be like fox or somebody maybe uh comcast or nbc sports would buy up the regional sports network and actually get somehow two of them for the not the price of one but they sure. get two of them glenn clark joins us right now he hosts the glenn clark radio show monday through friday from 10 to 1 and tomorrow he does his uh, extra duty on project game day glenn you'll be on at halftime of the bengals ravens game and then you and sarita after the game that's right, sir. Good morning, boys. How are we? We're doing great. We're doing great. First of all, let's just touch on football for one quick second. Do you have any sense who's going to start a quarterback tomorrow and is mostly known that Joe Flacco will not play? Right, yeah. So if you list somebody as doubtful, it is really sort of a um, unwritten rule in the league. I'm sorry, my son is telling me that he loves me, which is very sweet of him, but not great when I'm doing an interview. That's all right. Um, the, uh, I think he wasn't rule. telling you he loves you. He was loving the show. That might be right. He yeah. might just be big Stan and Adam fans. Yeah. That might be the case. <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of an unwritten rule. You list the player as doubtful, that player doesn't play on Sunday. That's the way it is. So, short of something genuinely that's miraculous that the Ravens couldn't have seen coming, then no, Joe Flacco doesn't play tomorrow. But as far as who plays, until Lamar Jackson had his stomach issue on Thursday, there was no world in which I saw them playing Robert Griffin III over Lamar Jackson. I still don't. The fact that Lamar Jackson has been the backup throughout the course of the season has been the guy that they've said would play if, say, Joe Flacco got hurt on the first play of the game. That screams to me that he's the guy that they're comfortable with. Is it possible that because they've had two weeks to prepare, there's something that they saw from Robert Griffin III that they thought was unique that could help them beat the Bengals? Sure, it's possible. But if I'm a betting man, it is Lamar Jackson who starts tomorrow. All right. Now, let's flip back. And again, you'll be on tomorrow at halftime of the Ravens-Cincinnati Bengals game. People can go to Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports or they can listen in on pressboxonline.com slash radio, and then you're back with Sarita, the NFL yep. chick, after the game. And that usually lasts 45 minutes to an hour, Glenn? 
Yeah, it always depends. It, it typically depends on how angry everyone is. If the Ravens <laughs> win and you know the game's kind of boring, we might go about 30 minutes. If it's a brutal day, then we could be with you for the better part of an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. All right, let's flip over to the baseball side. Uh, not, not the best-kept secret over the last two days, but it was pretty well-kept secret for several weeks where this was going. Uh, your thoughts, both your personal thoughts on the hiring of Mike Elias and what you're sensing from looking at social media and talking to some younger fans. Yeah, Stan, i got to be honest with you, and I'm sure you're sensing the same thing. This is an overwhelmingly positive uh, moment in this Orioles' attempted rebuild. Um, I don't know that it's going to bear all of the fruits that we're hoping that it will, but at the moment, everybody is giving it a thumbs up, and that, I think, is it doesn't matter the generation. And I think particularly with the young group of fans, Instead, I, I, this is an interesting thing that you and I could talk more about, but I, I get the sense that the younger generation is so apt to sign on for just give me someone who's an analytic mind. Give me someone who thinks about baseball that way because that's how I think about baseball. And so for it to be Mike Elias, for it to be Sid Mejdal, and I know that part's not done yet, but it does look more and more as though that he'll be coming as well. I think this young group of fans is absolutely fully on board with how this worked out. And I still think that this is as much to do with it being, I don't think that anybody in, in it's sort of the, the true baseball sycophants can really tell you that much specifically about Mike Elias, even though they've had a couple of days to try to learn about him. I think that this reflects way more on sort of fortifying the feelings that we had throughout the season of genuine or genuine change at the top of the organization and the significance of John and Lou Angelos taking over and making decisions. Stan, as you and I have talked about, I think one thing that's a positive, and it's, it wasn't great for us that I needed to talk about baseball every day and we're looking for information, but the fact that there were so few leaks and that apparently when names were getting leaked, the Orioles were saying, all right, if you can't keep your, keep your lips shut, then yeah. you're not our guy. That's not what we're looking for around here. We want to do business differently around here. And the word is that's why David Chad ended up off the list is because he couldn't keep his mouth shut about the fact that he was being uh, uh, discussed for this job. I- I'm blown away by that. I'm blown away by an organization that is so different now um, in just a short amount of time that what they've done seems to be thumbs up all the way around. So the reaction that I've gotten, overwhelmingly positive. Again, we're a long way away from wherever this thing might take us, but this was the one. Whoever they hire a sealed manager, they hire a sealed manager. As, as we talked about, I don't think that's a very significant hire right now. But this was an incredibly significant hire, and I think everyone in this fan base has uh, agreed wholeheartedly that they knocked this thing out of the park. Glenn, you know, if if someone had to classify me as analytical or old school, I probably err on the side of, of old school. Old school, yeah. And okay. one of the things that... You'd be it, old school, but with a great respect for what the analytics can bring to the table. Absolutely, because I, in my roles in the game, analytics didn't help me. Yeah. I never okay. had to I never had to know it. It wasn't important to me. I didn't have to hit a baseball. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to do any of that stuff. Sure. That being said, what actually excites me about this hire is the fact that Mike Elias is not your typical analytics guy. He's a scout. That's how his his pedigree was. He signed in 2006, 2007 
with the St. Louis Cardinals and worked his way up through the organization, won a World Series in, in St. Louis, then went over with Jeff Lunau to Houston, won a World Series in Houston. His role was not to come up with the formulas to put to, to sign good baseball players and put him in the right position. His role was to be out on the road 200 days a year mm-hmm. to watch what these guys were yeah. doing. So yeah. what I like is we have that little bit of old school, mm-hmm. obviously very receptive and cohesive with the new school and the analytics. And right. that's the trend that the game is going in right now, and it makes sense. I'm more excited about a hire like this than I would have been if it was a Ned Coletti who oh, yeah. hasn't been exposed to something like that. Um, so that the names that were thrown out there were good. We are all surprised, and, and Glenn, you hit the nail on the head, that if Peter Angelos was still running this organization the way that he had in the past, this hire probably doesn't occur. Yeah. They, right. they, get and, Ned, and Adam, they get Ned Coletti then if Peter's really running. Exactly. Oh, of course, yeah. right. And, and Adam, I think what you touch on is, is actually absolutely fascinating. I think it's a great way to explain it to younger fans that don't really understand exactly what they need to know about Michael Elias. And I think that's it's a bigger point. I don't need this to just be, for the lack of a better word, a baseball nerd. You know what I mean? Like, I don't just need this to be someone who looked at some numbers and said, this is the best way to go about doing it. I think it's great that it's someone who has a true feel for the game from lower levels and from going out and watching and being on the road, but who also accepts analytics and understands their value in trying to build a baseball team. I, I, it's why I just genuinely, again, look, look we got to pause after this. We're excited today and we'll be excited on Monday because there's going to be a press conference and this seems like a home run. But now we got to remind ourselves, hey, it's going to be a while, and that's the unfortunate part. And I still keep saying... I think that people are throwing out time frames like three or four years, and I think it's more realistically like five years because there's so little here now that could change. And if Michael Elias is as good as we think he's going to be, maybe he can speed that clock up. But my assumption is it's going to be a while. But I, I don't know how you can't be excited. And, and as we keep going back to, this really reflects genuine change at the top of the organization, which makes you excited about the next five to ten things that might happen during the course of this process. We're talking with Glenn Clark, who hosts the Glenn Clark Radio Program, along with our producer today, Kyle Ottenheimer. They're on every Monday through Friday from 10 to 1 right here on uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio or Facebook Live. 10 to noon. What did I say? 10, 10 to 1. Sometimes you didn't hear about it. You didn't hear about it. Sometimes we go 1230. Yeah. Kyle didn't get the memo that you guys are going 10 to 1? <laughs> 10 to noon, I'm sorry. 10 to, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday at pressboxonline.com slash radio or Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports. We're talking with Glenn Clark. He also will host the uh, Ravens Project, uh, not Ravens, Project game day tomorrow at halftime of the Ravens-Bengals game, and then he's joined after the game by Sarita Hubbard at those same two addresses on the Internet. Uh, Glenn, uh, the Sig Mejdal uh, rumors, um, is it just a process that they didn't want to take away from the Elias signing yesterday, that announcement? Do you think it's forthcoming Monday or do you think it could not be really accomplished just yet? Well, I mean, look, I, I think it's certainly possible, Stan, that it could not be accomplished yet. But at the same time, you connect the dots and the connected people in the game that suggest that it's happening, and I see no reason to think that it's not happening. I'll go with the same thing, though, Stan. I think you're right. I think at first it could be about 
uh, not wanting to take away from the Alliance announcement. But I would also say that at some point, I, you know, you know, the Orioles with coming up with titles, right? Yep. Like, I think yep. we're all a little bit surprised that they put the words general manager yep. on uh, Mike Elias's title. And it might literally just be that they're trying to figure out exactly what the title is going to be. Is it going to be as simple as calling him assistant general manager? Which, again, just not something that I think that we've expected. I, I know it seems like such a small and almost bizarre thing to be excited about, but Stan and Adam, I'm genuinely excited that they gave Mike Elias the title of general manager. Yeah, I... Because it, it, it just feels like normalcy. Yeah. It feels like the way things are supposed to exist within an organization and we're just so used to it not existing that way here in Baltimore. I'm losing so, I'm losing Adam in about eight minutes. I just want to throw him a question in between listening to you, Glenn. Do you yeah. think the right way to do it is to make to get a sort of an older head that knows all the rules and regulations, almost like a what Brian Graham's been doing now as assistant GM and then named Mejdal assistant GM director of analytics. It's going to be interesting to see in in what fashion Mike Elias crafts his, his inner front, circle. His, his and, inner circle. Yep. You know, let's let's not forget that I think he's smart enough to know that he's going to need to bring in some guys that have been around the game a little bit longer than he has mm-hmm. as his special assistants, as his advisors. And I, I'm not sure that Sig is a assistant general manager type. Uh, he might be more of a director of analytics, or I forget what his his title was with Houston yeah. Informational Sciences, right. or, or something right. like that. Um, but it's going to be interesting in um, to see who he reaches out to, a who's available, b who wants to come here. Uh, but because of his ties with the St. Louis organization, because of his ties with Houston, who I'm I'm really concerned because Houston's lost a lot of people recently. Yeah. Um, that he's going to be given the opportunity to take anybody. Ironically, ironically, yeah. Houston just hired away Sarah Gellis, who became a free agent from the Orioles. She was in Sig the Orioles' smaller, Sarah, right. yeah, and she comes there, and she's pretty good baseball mind. No Sig leaves, about Sarah goes there. So, but it's going to be really interesting, and 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 it's going to be exciting too. My hope is, as we touched on with with Craig Heist, that some of the people that he taps into, the Oriole fan base needs to know who they are, and yep. Rich Dower. Yep helps that because as we say this is a fan game and you gotta you know if it's michael elias and sig megdal and joe espada right people There's are gonna not think, an oriole where's there. the orioles there yeah. so i mean there has to be some some influx of people that have ties to the organization that the fan base can can react to all right interesting. Glenn, glenn you'll be back on the air again tomorrow at halftime and on post game and then back doing the glenn clark radio show Monday from 10 to 12. We just chopped an hour off of the show. 10 to 10 to 12. Yeah, right. <laughs> really appreciate it. I want to get Terry Virtue on on time at 11.20, and I got yep. that 18-minute Marty Conway interview. Thank you for chipping in and uh, and and giving us your insights, Glenn. Appreciate Happy it. Happy to do it, and uh, appreciate it, Stan. Adam, it's good to talk to you, man. You too, All Glenn. Right. Thanks. All right. By the way, real quick before we say goodbye to Adam, Gotta gotta remind folks today, if you're not interested in the Maryland Ohio State game, there's a terrific football game gonna take place over at United Stadium. Uh, and that's over at uh, what's it, Minigan Field, uh, United you, you Stadium at Minigan Field. Minigan Field. Uh, it's 
the Towson Tigers hosting James Madison University at 2 o'clock out there. It's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, a lot on the line there. Yep. Former Towson football ball boy right here. All right. About that. Hey, I appreciate your coming on. Uh, other news around Baltimore real quick is December 8th, a doubleheader uh, taking place, a college basketball doubleheader being run by Bill Spots and the Charm City Charities. Um one fifteen in the afternoon on Saturday, December 8th, Towson and Morgan State. Fits in nicely with my schedule here. I get off at noon. I'll have time to get down there. Perfect. Then at 4 o'clock, the University of Maryland will be playing Loyola of Chicago. My biggest question when I heard about it was, is the nun coming to the game? Oh, that's a good question. You know, she Sister travels Jean. well. Sister yeah. Jean, is she, she coming to the game? All right. They may be a surprise. All right. Thank you very much for coming in. My pleasure. Appreciate Anytime. it. All right. Adam Gladstone. Uh, I had this chance, and again, want to remind everybody out there at 1120 on the button, I'm trying to be very, like, military, you know, get on, get on time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to be joined by at Astro Terry. Terry Virts, Columbia, Maryland-born astronaut, U.S. astronaut, lives in Houston, knows all these Houston Astro front office types, uh, including Sig Mejdal, so we're interested to talk to him. But right now, I had a chance yesterday to talk to my good friend and sports consultant and a professor down at Georgetown University who teaches sports business and media, and that's Marty Conway. And we talked about uh, the rumors that this Masson dispute that's been going on for about three or four years now, could finally uh, be nearing its end. And joining us now in the bat around is an old friend, and uh, more importantly and germane to the topic, uh, Marty Conway joins us. And Marty is a former executive both in the baseball world. He worked for AOL for a long time. He's been in sports business a long time, still actively a consultant on some things. And Marty, you and I have on the side, continued to, an open discussion about what's going on with this Masson dispute. Uh, Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post reports this week that that dispute could finally end this week. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think that's hopeful. Uh, I, I, I did rehear reporting, and I've read some, and it follows the same theme that we would see from time to time as this would arise, court dates would be set, trials would be held things of the sort. And what she's referring to is that um, in, in, in the latest round where Masson actually did win uh, on their appeal in U, uh, New York State Supreme Court to revert this back to a tribunal uh, of Major League Baseball owners, and according to her reporting and others, that tribunal was to hear uh, the, you know, this dispute again with a different, different set of owners, different representation, uh, but the same issues, the same themes, and that was to occur this week, at least in November. We know it's to occur in, in November, um, but apparently it was going to occur as early as this week. Now, we know uh, while the club hasn't come out and the family hasn't come out, we know that uh, Peter Angelos hasn't been active in Oriole operations yeah. for quite some time now. Is the, the hopeful sign that this could be coming to an end, does it have something to do with that uh, or is that a little bit too simplified? Well, I, I think that as you've, you know, people know and you've talked about that with John Angelos and Lou Angelos taking a much larger regular role in the operation of the team, I think that potentially if you see an indication that there might be a settlement in this as opposed to another round of appealing this to other, 
you know, jurisdictions and other courts. Right. That if you saw something along the lines of more settlement talks, then that might indicate clearly that there's been a shift in ownership and philosophy on this. Um, if they don't, then I think, you know, it's an indication that maybe it's status quo in terms of how the club will operate. But it's a significant amount of money, and I could understand that if they were to take this to the highest appeals court that they could find, uh, they may still continue to, to do that because of the enormity of the amount of money that we're talking about in the future of both franchises, the Nationals and the Orioles, are somewhat dependent on the outcome here. And not only are the organizations dependent upon it, isn't it true in large regard that the actual future of the network is at stake here in some regards as well? Not that Oriole fans and Nats fans won't have a place to watch games, uh, but did you think that some type of sale of the network could be impending if 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 this is found in favor of the Nationals and the Orioles owe, uh, or Masson owes all this back money, it could lead to Masson's insolvency. Well, I think there are questions, uh, rightly questions, about uh, the operation and the ownership here as to what would happen. There's a couple of things going on. There certainly is this, and yes, um, in you know, in short summary, uh, the the tribunal the first time uh, found that instead of paying approximately $40 million a year to the Nats, that they should be paid something like $60 million a year for their television rights. And so we're looking at a back five or six years of back pay, uh, several years in the future of $20 million more per. That adds up quickly into the you know hundreds of millions of dollars. And also just keeping in mind, according to the agreement, uh, there's a parity clause in the agreement that whatever the Nationals were paid, the Orioles would be paid the same, and vice versa. If the Orioles were to receive increases, so would the Nats. And so we're talking about, you know, two, three, four hundred, potentially three or four hundred million dollars here, which I do not believe. I've not seen their numbers, but I don't believe that the scope of what Masson is today, with cord cutting and other sorts of things, that that sort of dollars are available. And yes, might it mean that some other media organization that is interested, a Fox, or someone else would come along and maybe infuse it with capital in return for ownership, first a partnership, and then later on control of the network. You know, the most confusing thing to me out of all this is, you know, the Nats came into Washington in 2005, and Masson and the Orioles' ownership stake in Masson was supposed to be the the payout for Peter Angelos to accept the Nationals into his territory, which it gets back to, in a way, how Bud Selig handled this. Doesn't it? Uh, that he moved the team first and then began to negotiate with Peter Angelos on the infringement into his territory? Yeah, which put Peter and, and, the, and, and the team in a very great position, right? Because the Major League Baseball had already really committed. They had no place to go. They were leaving Montreal. Washington was the only place they were going to land, so it put them in a very good position from a leverage standpoint. But you're absolutely right. Uh, essentially, the creation of Masson and the construct of the relationship with two teams and, and one network, uh, rather than pay the Orioles a damage uh, award, which would have been several hundred million dollars, I'm sure. I mean, it's got to um, have been in the four or five hundred million dollar range. Yeah. So essentially, in return, it gave him control of an asset that they believe would yield returns on an annual basis, almost like an annuity, right. that those that would yield 
returns that would at least, if not cover or maybe more, what the Orioles would have been due. Uh, and so instead of paying it in a damage award, they basically structured a 30-year rights agreement between the Nats and, and, the, and the Orioles and Masson that would essentially pay that out over time. And so I do believe that's why the Orioles, perhaps rightly so here, have dug in so hard because the contract actually does call for a system every five years of resetting the rights fees. And what really happened was the Nationals essentially said, we don't believe that that formula accurately represents what we should be due. And so they spent money on consultants and then years on lawyers going around that. And uh, so the Orioles and Masson were saying, we have a deal in place. And the Nats were saying, yeah, but it doesn't really reflect the current value of cable rights. And so that's why this ended up the way that it did in 2012 when it first when it first began. So it seems like neither the Nationals, the Orioles, or MLB accurately saw how crazy the rights yeah. fees would be on these cable deals, right? No, they did not. And, and like I said, the method that was in there to calculate increases would yield something in the single-digit increases. Right. And so whether it was 7, 8, 9, 10 percent perhaps at the most, and what we saw out there in the case of Los Angeles and Texas and St. Louis and many other places was an incredible inflation over the value of the rights for a regional sports network for local baseball teams. Now, I have to say that's changed dramatically. Um, you know, in the last five to seven years, people have cut the cord aggressively. Mm-hmm. Subscriber numbers are down for all sorts of cable channels. And so the, the marketplace today is decidedly different than it was then. It's not to say that the value of baseball continues to grow, because it does, to regional sports nets. But the number of subscribers that are there to pay it off, which, again, is back to where we started this conversation to say going forward, is it even possible for the network to generate those kinds of payouts per subscriber to turn and pay both teams $60 million a year in rights? And then it sets up a whole other process, which is uh, revenue sharing, because the, 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 the ownership proceeds that either the Orioles or the Nats get are not taxed as revenue sharing, but rights fee payments in the in the terms of television would be. Yeah. So one third of every dollar that gets paid would revert to the to the revenue sharing pool and then that's money that goes further out of the team's coffers. We're talking with Marty Conway, who a longtime sports executive uh, and uh sports business consultant. We're talking about this Masson dispute between the Orioles and the Nationals and uh, the possible resolution of this. Marty, one of the most interesting aspects of this is, and and I've always felt that Bud Selig kind of winked and nodded at the learners and said, let's just do this deal. We'll sign this deal and we'll, we'll We'll work on on changing the terms later on. Is the fact that MLB has loaned the Nationals a great sum of money to make up for the monies that have been holding held in abeyance uh, in this um, dispute over the years? It's it kind of makes you seem it makes it seem like the MLB is leaning or weighing the scale on the side of the Nationals. Well, not just us say that, but you're accurate, because that's what the New York State Supreme Court said, essentially. They didn't cite that issue, mm-hmm. but they essentially said that, you know, the Major League Baseball teams that were owners that were there in the tribunal and Major League Baseball were all represented by the same law firm, mm-hmm. but there was all these sorts of conflicts to do that. And so, yes, the fact that they also advanced them money from the central fund is a part of that. Now, 
I think on the other side of that, you may say that, look, they knew there was going to be some resolution, maybe not all $60 million a year or something right. of the sort. So they knew that there was going to be some sort of resolution to do that. So, But, yeah, awarding them the All-Star game, doing some other things like that, really gave an indication that, and now Rob Manfred later, of thinking that, well, maybe this actually would be decided at a higher level for the Nats, and so ultimately they were going to get this money. And, again, the impact you know, on fan bases really comes down to what can you afford in terms of payroll, what can you afford in terms of scouting and other dollars. And so that's why this is, I, I think, the most influential decision mm-hmm. in the last, maybe even in Peter's ownership tenure, in terms of what it could do for the future of the franchise in terms of the cash flow and different things. Now, perhaps that also means that this attracts, and we didn't talk about this until recently, but... You know, there are 22 Fox regional sports networks that are for sale that uh, when Disney purchased the Fox assets, the federal government said you can have all these assets except you must get rid of the regional sports nets. And so now those are in the marketplace. And so there's a market for regional sports nets being set. And so perhaps it's also a time that the ownership at Masson looks at that and says, well, if it's out there in the marketplace, Maybe we should think about taking on a you know a sale and opportunity. Who knows? You know what's fascinating though is when the Orioles and, and, and the history gets so convoluted a little bit. But in two thousand and five, the Orioles, even though they were in the midst of about the sixth or seventh year of of downturn in in, in production on the field, wins losses on the field, they were still drawing relatively well at that point in time. And now. Uh, and now they are, you know, they're down at the million five, million six range, despite the fact that the the play was pretty good for about a five or six year period. Of course, nobody could have foreseen the Freddie Gray situation, but it, it's really the nightmare scenario, if you have it, that what the Orioles should have been given in some type of compensation is coming true right now because the Nationals are much more solid solidly supported franchise at the turnstiles. Yeah, it's very clear that the Orioles were the more vulnerable of the two franchises, and we've seen that play out. Even even when they were respectable five, six years ago in competing, they were still well down from any highs that Camden Yards, and you and I both know what that was in the $3 million sure. and the high $2.8, 9000000 They were drawing maybe two point four, and so you were looking at perhaps three or 400000 you know, just disappearing because of the presence of baseball. And then, yeah, exacerbated in recent times by other issues that have occurred to them. And so, as I said, the Orioles franchise has become the the more vulnerable of the two in the region. And, again, putting the All-Star game in Washington pushed more chips that direction. And so the reconstruction on the business side is going to be – it's going to take years, and it's going to be a very challenging uh, job. Uh, And I think they're going to have to rethink a number of things, including – what to do with the with the with the TV network? Because if you can make a sale and you can potentially reinvest some of that proceeds, and you may have to do that. So it may not be their choice. And as we know, Peter doesn't really do well with with partners. Uh, so I don't see this being a new partnership. But it may be something that like happened with the Ravens, where a media company comes in and buys the percentage that they can with the agreement to get to a controlling percentage within a certain amount of time. And maybe the Orioles or the Nats keeping 10 or 15 percent in terms of an ownership equity structure so that they continually get paid out on the back end 
when it runs successfully. So I think it's going to be an interesting next 18 or 24 months sort of on the business construction of both the Nats and the Orioles revolving mainly around what happens to the network. Just another couple quick minutes, uh, Marty, and I appreciate the time. With the insertion of a, a, a COO in, in John Vidalion there uh, with the Orioles, and just what you know how Peter operated and versus the need for cash these days, couple quick things. Do you think the club will be more aggressive in getting its ticket pricing, season ticket sales information out to the public than they have been over the last seven to ten years under Peter? I think so. I think, you know, it's entirely dependent. Up to this point, it's been entirely dependent on Peter signing off to those. And, you know, I'm only speculating, but I suspect that his ability to really comprehend what some of these things were. And of course they were also signing Chris Davis and making other big cash considerations. And so they wanted to wait to make the revenue decisions, uh, you know, after signing. Well, that's not the case anymore. They have to set a very straightforward plan, not just for this year, but for the future about getting tickets out, getting them priced accordingly, understanding when you're going to increase what you're going to do. And then I think the other thing also is, they're going to have to take a very hard look at a digital ticketing program because not only is it about price and about timing today, it's about how people use ticketing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I both know that mobile and mobile ticketing is now spread all throughout, including yep. the Ravens doing that. And so it's time. And so I think the combination of all those things could turn this in, in a better direction as to uh, better communication and perhaps even more profitable ticketing programs for the club one other quick question marty i just happened to hear on the nfl network last night that uh what is it safeco field has been the the stadium in in seattle uh the new naming rights deals with i think t-mobile that's right Uh, and it's for six million dollars a year peter was never a fan of uh, putting a corporate name when you hear six million a year and maybe a 20-year term, that's $120 million. Uh, might John and Lewis say, you know, hey, we, we respect our dad's opinion, but this is now and that was then, and might we see a name on Oriole Park at Camden Yards in the next year or two? Well, while, while tempting, uh, here's my thought on it. My yep. thought is no. I think the origin of Oriole Park at Camden Yards has been in place for, you know, 25 years and solid on that. Now, having said that, I do think that there are many places around the stadium, around the warehouse, down Utah Street, different areas that are perfectly set up for corporate naming space. Mm -hmm. But I think that the reference to the stadium name itself, I think for now, I think they would, number one, see some backlash that they probably don't want right now. And the question is, yes, a few years ago, that number would have been 10 or 12 or $15 million a year. The fact is the the, the value of corporate naming of, of stadiums has gone down over time because there's been so many uh but i think the oriole park image is very valuable as it stands but i think there are a number of places entryways all sorts of areas where corporate naming would certainly apply in baltimore and there'd be plenty of opportunities with local and regional companies to get involved there and really get some value out of it as opposed to hanging a name on the stadium right next to m&t stadium and i think you'd see 
some devaluation uh, that they probably don't want to experience right now. All right. Marty Conway, uh, sports consultant, uh, formerly worked for the Orioles, Texas Rangers, and AOL in their sports and marketing departments many, many years. Uh, we appreciate your insights on this matter, and I'll talk to you soon. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Same to you. Thanks, uh, Stan. Good to be with you. All appreciate right. it very much. Take care. That's Marty Conway, and we'll be back with more of the bat around right after this. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yonda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loopley. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at loopleague.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. 
Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And before we are joined by astronaut Terry Verts, that's at Astro Terry on Twitter, I want to tell you a little bit about one of my favorite places, the Costas Inn, where I'll be dining tonight, Monday night, crab cake special, Tuesday night, rib special, Wednesday night, steak night. Thursday, lobster night, and on Friday, Pete always has a whole host of specials available for your dining enjoyment. Located 4100 North Point Boulevard, it's a great place to go with friends. The um, The service is fantastic. The wait staff is fantastic. It's a family atmosphere. It's one of my favorite places, and I love the Tree and Tuffalo's family, so give them some support. Give them some love. They also got fresh crabs there and great crab cakes there every single night of the week at the Costas Inn. All right. Speaking of being excited about things like the Costas Inn, I'm excited to uh, welcome back into the program for his second visit with us, U.S. astronaut and a colonel in the Air Force, as I understand it, Mr. Terry Verts. Terry, how are you? Hey, uh, good to be with you guys. Um, ready to talk some baseball, I guess, huh? All right. Yes, I'm very excited. You know, it's interesting. Marty Bass hooked us up, and I know you know Marty, being from Columbia, Maryland here, uh, and Marty's very fond of you, and he hooked us up. He said that you wanted, this is about a year and a half ago, that you wanted to write something for PressBox, and we ended up having you on this radio show, and what you were talking about, and the Orioles weren't horrible then. They, they might not have been ready to really win a World Series, but they were still doing pretty well. And you said to me, we got to get guys like these guys running the Astros. And uh, you meant Jeff Luno, you meant Mike Elias, you meant Sig Majdal. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got to know those folks in Houston. Yeah, um, you know, I think actually what the Orioles have gone through the last few years, I think would be a great case study at business school for yep. when the right time to rebuild is because uh, we were just too late. But here in Houston, so the Orioles are my hometown team, and I've, I've lived here in Houston for 18 years, so I've adopted them as kind of my second team. And um, I know the owner, I know the president, I know the general manager. They're just really great guys. And I met Sig Madal uh, probably five years or more ago. He's a former NASA guy. He's been involved in baseball for years, and um, like there's a there's a whole crop of these folks, but he's just taken <laughs> analytics to a new level. And I was at a meeting in 2011 with George Postalos, who was the last president of the Astros, and he laid out this plan to completely blow up the team and start from scratch. And he was talking about how the farm system was bad, and they had all these old free agents. And anyway, and I was skeptical. But then at the end of his presentation, I was like, you know what? Um, that makes a lot of sense. And we went through 300 lost seasons. Uh, you know, we drafted Keuchel and Altuve and Correa and Alex Bregman and Lance McCullers. I mean, good grief. We, we got an Ast- There's an all-star team worth of talent on the, on the Astros right now, but it took a few 
really painful years to get there. Sig Mejdal is a, is a NASA-trained scientist. You met him through baseball, though? He wasn't working right with you with NASA? Yeah, that's right. He um, got hired by the Astros, and I had heard that this guy was a NASA guy, so I just reached out to him, cold-called him, and said, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm a baseball fan and an astronaut, and so we've developed this friendship over the years. Um, he's just a really unique guy. I mean, he is super smart, one of the smartest guys I know, but he's also a people person. In fact, last year, he actually, you know, he's a front office guy. I went down to his office, and there is a room full of whiteboards with equations on them. I mean, it is like a mad scientist nerd office. <laughs> and on there, he has this poster that said, In God I Trust, everybody else has to bring data. So that's now my new Twitter um, <laughs> thing. <laughs> but you know what he did? So that's his background. He actually went learned how to hit fungos, and he was a coach in the minor league system for a season. Um, really? That's I think it was in the same league with the Ironbirds, actually. So he went out, and the biggest problem, look, in any organization is culture. NASA has had real problems with culture. It's hard to change that. And in baseball, you know, baseball guys, they know certain things. They do certain things a certain way. That's not how you do it. This is how you do it. And the reality is the data has shown that that's not always how you do it, right? Sometimes you have to learn how to shift. Um, ask Chris Davis about that, sure. right? Yeah. And the things that old school baseball guys didn't used to believe. But I think, you know, five years ago that was true. In 2018, every, you're either on board or you're not working in Major League Baseball because um, basically what the Astros have done, they've absolutely had the lead on this. Uh, they were the first team to shift. If you look at, if you go back two or three years, you know, they were way above anybody else in shifting, and then it, it took about a season, and all of a sudden the rest of baseball caught up. But he took this culture of um, data, and let's just look at the numbers and, and spin rate. for We can talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then he went out as a minor league coach. And, I mean, he wasn't, like, managing the team, but he, you know, was down there with the 20-year-old guys going, hey, look, if you got this spin rate and your curveball's better than your fastball, if you want to make it to the major leagues, this is what you need to do. And all of a sudden, the 20-year-olds listen. Hmm. Um, and the Astros have a couple of stories. Colin McHugh's probably the best of folks that were struggling and not really that good. But the, through analytics, they figured out, hey, they have this one, you know, this pitch is better than the other, or they got a spin rate on a curveball that no one else has or whatever. And all of a sudden, they're – well, Garrett Cole, for example, Cy yep. Young contender. Mm -hmm. He was a – he was a – you know, number five on the Pirates last year, and he was getting Cy Young votes this year. So didn't he? Didn't he um, also do? He went from like eight strikeouts per nine innings yeah. to twelve this past year, which it, is an unbelievable. The, yeah, because they're they're in a culture, and they want to make. They're not there to cut you and and you know, <laughs> fire you. They're there to help you succeed. So I think the players, and it takes a certain type of player, um, who's willing to you know, get debriefed and learn. And Verlander's a great example. And, uh, the Astros have had, I mean, obvious success, to say the least, right? If it wasn't, you know, they're one of the top two or three teams in baseball now for the last two seasons. Um, I want to touch on something you talked about there with Sigmej Dahl, where he worked as a minor league coach. Uh, we heard Michael Elias discuss, in his opinion, the importance of a full understanding of how the system works, right? He thinks that scouts and people who have worked their way up as scouts uh, perhaps understand 
the player development side of things, best of all, because they know the rigors of every side of it. Uh, how important do you, from afar, can you see that, that to Michael Elias, to Sig Megzadal, the idea of a comprehensive understanding is for running an organization? Yeah, I think they have an acronym. Is it STOUT or something? It's like a combination of statistics and scouting. In other words... Mm-hmm. The data is important, but the human side, you know, these are men mm-hmm. yeah. um, with girlfriends and wives and babies and everything else, right? So it's uh, it's not just robots. The Astros are not a team of robots. In fact, the chemistry there is pretty amazing. So I think they do a great job of combining, you know, the raw data and statistics. Because if you don't have that talent, you're, you're not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. But you combine that with, yes, these are human beings. Let's coach them in the right way. And, uh... You, that that organization has done real well with that. It's not just all data, but it's also not just all old school baseball guy. It's a combination of the two. We're talking with at Astro Terry Terry Virch, Columbia, Maryland born U.S. astronaut. Terry, I'm not trying to get you to give us breaking news or a scoop. <laughs> if you can't say it, you'll tell me. But Sig Mejdal, we're we're hearing and we're connecting the dots. Do you think he'll end up? working for the Baltimore Orioles under Mike Elias or with him? You no, know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, Sig's a good friend of mine and, uh, I haven't pushed him on that. And, you know, he's, he's gonna, he has some decisions to make. He's obviously very talented and I would imagine that he's in demand. I'll bet he's <laughs> the in Astros demand. Are, yep. The Astros are losing executives and coaches. Well, the Red Sox coach came from the Astros last sure. year. So their success gets picked off. Right. Um, so I don't know. I All can't right. tell you. I, 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 uh, I'll, I think we'll hopefully find out soon, though. Let me ask you about two people that have been in uniform the past couple of years. Uh, one who left after the 17 season, Rich Dower. I'm not projecting him as an Oriole manager because I think that ship has sailed with Richie, who's 65 years of age. But he, right. he's, he says he's really desperate to become a Baltimore Oriole again. Could you see him being of some assistance to Mike Elias, either as a special assistant or maybe as a base coach? Oh, I absolutely could. I mean, Rich was just, I mean, as a kid, I I loved watching him play second base. And then as an Astros fan last year, I loved watching him with the Astros as a coach. Um, He had a pretty serious scare. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, We heard parade. We heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. He had the hematoma. He had to be rushed to the hospital through that, parade route it was very yeah. scary saw him the other he night al- he almost died uh, he came very close to dying the other yeah. one that i wanted to ask you about and i don't know how well you know him because he was only in houston for a year but was bench coach who replaced alex core joe espada his name is already hot as a potential guy that mike elias could reach out to to manage the baltimore orioles yeah you know um I, I don't know him personally, but I have just spending a year with AJ Hinch, who's the manager of the Astros, and who's absolutely awesome. I yep. mean, he's an amazing manager. He, uh, I think, would be really good for him. I'll tell you though, managing the Orioles in 2019, um, you, we, meaning fans mm-hmm. and you, the press, we got to have the right expectations because oh. they're not going to go to the playoffs this year. No, they're they're going to they're going to have a bad team this year, so we have to be ready for that. So the manager has to have, you know, the proper expectation. We need to set the manager up to succeed. The Astros had a guy named Bo Porter, who 
I think was a good guy, but he was the manager during those hundred win seasons, and man, that was hard on him. You mean so, the hundred lost seasons? You meant the, the hundred lost seasons? seasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. The bad, the bad years. And, I, um, I agree that, with you. I yeah. agree with you. I think the expectations will will need to be tamped down, oh, accordingly or along those same lines. I do some of the Mass and Mid Atlantic Sports Report programs, and I was on yesterday with Tom Davis and Mel Anton, and they both think that Mike Elias and the Orioles will go out and get not the the big high high price free agents, but they'll get some bridge players. I almost feel that that that's not the the thing to do this year. I think the thing to do this year is put all the young guys out there and let's see who makes sense to be a part of the future of this team right now. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously looking – my personal view is the only reason to have a baseball team is to win the World Series. So I you don't agree. want to just have a winning season or try and get a wild card spot. So unless you're building towards the World Series, you got to have a vision. Is it going to be in three years, five years, whatever? Um, and so you have to do what gets you to that vision. You don't want to wreck a pitcher's confidence at getting beat up by the Red Sox and Yankees and Astros, but you also want to use that time to see him. So that's, I, there's a lot of decision-making that the general manager is going to have to make, but they got to field the team. And I don't know how many major leaguers they have. They've got Trey Mancini, Michael Givens. I mean, legitimate. Valar, VR, who they picked up in the scope deal is a decent player, you know. Uh, and Cedric Mullins. Had... Mullins will yeah, probably yeah, yeah. play center field. Yeah. Right. And then Chris Davis, we know, uh, for better or for worse, is going to be here this, this year. Right. You know. So he can – I mean, look, they got to put a team on the field, so he can take one of those spots. But and and also, I left of... out one guy. Mark Trumbo will be back because they're not going to be able to trade him immediately. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, that's going to be – there's a lot of – room for pitchers and and position players to make that team but you just have to be careful that you don't just wreck a guy um it's like aaron Rodgers got to spend all those years learning how to be quarterback before he went on the field you know but the guys who get drafted and then they're starting in game one a lot of times they have a rough like david carr was the texans when they had an expansion season and he was just getting sacked constantly so sometimes you're better off learning in the minors rather than learning at the majors so that i don't know how they're going to do that because i think there was one year maybe it was 12 when the astros were so bad their their major league payroll was literally like a half million dollars above the league minimum i think 24 of the 25 guys were making league minimum and they had like a a reliever that they got for a million bucks or something so that was the that was the level of what the astros did when they went through this Oh, look, but I mean, I, just because just making your team bad, let me make this point. Sure, just sure, sure. trading everybody doesn't get you ready for the World Series. You yeah. actually have to you actually have to get good talent. And I'm not sure the reason I said that Orioles are a case study of when not to rebuild, mm-hmm. because if you wait until July thirty first and you trade Manny Machado with two months left, you're not gonna get that much for him. Yep. Um if you really want to draft, you know, to try and get a guy it's really good with high potential. You gotta, you have to give something sure. to get something. So, we just waited too late, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how much we got in terms of minor league value, but I don't think it's very. Mar- I don't think we're off the charts. Right. You know? Over, overall, very marginal addition. So, with Kyle's all, got a question, then I got one more yeah. for you. With all that being said, right, especially considering we're talking about trading, right? If you're talking about a proper rebuild, it's about trading guys who have 
value, right? Whose clock or right. service time still remaining is enough for a team to be enticed and that they're appealing assets. Do you think that Michael Elias will be exploring the trade market early on for Orioles who might have that kind of value for maybe like a Richard Blyer type of player or somebody who might be able to, as we're talking about, help this rebuild, uh, add more talent. Right. Well, I certainly, I can't speak to what he's sure, going to sure. trade or not, but what you just said, of course he's going to do that. And if you're, if you've got a guy that's going to be major league ready next year, well, are we going to be world series ready next year? Right. So maybe <laughs> it's worth trading away 2019 and 2020 mm-hmm. To have guys to have Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve in 2022 and 2023. Um, so yeah, I think you need the first thing I would do, and I'm certain no one has asked me for sure except for you guys. Um, I would figure out what year we're going to win the World Series, and then I'd move back from there. Like, how, right. what plan do we need? Um, the Astros did that; it worked really well. And they started from a pretty bad spot. I mean, they mm-hmm. did not have very much minor league or major league talent. They had Hunter Pence. And uh, they sent a couple guys to the Orioles, but um, they didn't have much, and their minor league system was bad. Um, so they were starting from kind of a low point. Definitely. And it took them about five years. Terry, two things. Number one, can I call you after the show real quick about sure. something? Okay. Number two, sure. a total curveball away from baseball. I was on Twitter the other night, and I saw a, a, a piece in the New York Times tweeted out an article entitled, No One Has Ever Crossed Antarctica Unsupported. Two men are trying right now. Have you read this article? I did not, but that is... I went to the South Pole last year. That's a crazy thing to do. I'm going to send you this article. There's two guys for nearly... This is about a week old now. For nearly a week, Colin O'Brady, 33-year-old American adventure athlete, and British Army Captain Lewis Rudd, 49, have been waiting in Punta Arenas, Chile, on the Strait of Magellan near the shattered end of the South American continent. And it talks about how these two guys, they didn't plan to leave together, and they're not traveling together, but they're doing it at the same time. I just wanted to ask you a question about what would possess guys. Can you understand <laughs> what would possess those guys to want to do that? Because it does seem almost equivalent to a walk on the moon, but only a freezing right. cold moon. Yeah, but, well, personally, I, I love going to Antarctica for like a week. I, do, I would right. not have wanted to spend a month of my life walking across that continent. This is 60, what, when you're flying 65 it, days, Terry, 921 miles. 65 yeah. days. It, it's when you're flying across it, which I did, it's nothing but white flat for as far as you can see in every direction. So um, that is going to be a really challenging thing. The guy, I went down there with a group, and the, the man who um, runs the company is called Patrick Woodhead, is his name, and he had a record for cross country skiing across the continent, but he had partners and. Anyway, it, 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 tell, hearing his stories, it did not sound like a lot of fun. So I will send you this article, and I'll give you a call in about uh, 45 minutes, okay? Sounds good. Hey, thank you for coming on, and now that we've got some Houston in Baltimore, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try and grab you once in a while to talk some baseball, all right? I, I'd love to. I used to root for the Houston-Baltimore uh, World Series, but now that they're both in the American League, i got to root for the Houston-Baltimore ALCS. Uh, it sounds Hopefully good. in a few years we'll get there. Uh, when's the last time you saw or talked to Mike? Uh, Elias. 
Mike Elias? Yeah, um, Elias. like at the end of the baseball season. Okay. I have. I am not friends with him. I've met him. I'm okay. friends with Lunau and and Reed Wyatt and the president and, and, Sig. and Sig, of course. But I, I, he was more like I've met him, and that's about All it. All right. Hey, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, good to good to talk to you guys, and uh, hopefully I'll be back in Baltimore before too long. All right. And he is at Astro Terry Terry Verts, the U.S. astronaut from Columbia, Maryland. We are saying our goodbyes to Terry Verts, and we're going to immediately turn to say our hellos. And Kyle, I want to prepare you. Charles Steinberg was on a plane, a red-eye last night from okay. San Diego coming back to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. He sa- he, we talked t- ten times. I wonder if he got home and collapsed. Yeah. So if he doesn't answer, we won't bug him much. But Fair enough. Uh, Charles Steinberg, former Oriole PR director, and uh, an important part of the winning in San Diego, in Boston, and he was returned home the other night to his hometown to be a part of the evening with the 83 Orioles that was put on by the Sports Boosters of Maryland in the Babe Ruth Birthplace Museum. Uh, and by the way, great news yesterday with the President of the United States uh, naming uh, Babe Ruth and Elvis Presley as winners of the uh, uh, that uh, prestigious Medal of Honor yesterday. All right. Joining us right now is the aforementioned former PR director of Baltimore Orioles. He did everything for the Baltimore Orioles. He was a dentist. Uh, he left with Larry Lucchino to go to San Diego in 1993-ish, I think it was. Uh, and he was out there for several seasons. Went to Boston with Mr. Lucchino, then went to work for Commissioner Selig. Went back to Boston. He's now president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and he's an old friend on top of all that. Charles Steinberg joins us now on the bat around. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing fine. It's great to talk to you, and it was great to see you Wednesday night. What a what an event that was. Tell tell our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live who couldn't make it or didn't sort of bother to make it because they're down about the Orioles. It was really great to see the brand of the Orioles celebrated. I know that we were celebrating 35 years ago, but the brand is really alive and well, isn't it? It was was as though someone had stashed away this um, fine bottle of wine in the basement (laughs) and went and took it out and, you know, you, 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 you sipped it. And it was like Orioles magic had been bottled up and uh, unleashed for everybody um, Wednesday night. I was I was really um, not just impressed. I was I was really touched. Nine hundred people. You just felt the love in the room for a time that we've all enjoyed. Uh, I think we all appreciated it yep. during the years um, when Orioles Magic was at its peak. But I think that we probably savor it a little bit more now. And I think that when you have such great guys uh, as we had, you know, to see Ken Singleton back and Scott McGregor and Tippy Martinez, uh, you know, for me, Eddie Murray uh, has been of a great friend been a great all these friend. years. Yeah. It it really it 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 wasn't um, it wasn't It wasn't like oh, those were the days. It was kind of you know, it could be again. It was it was really. Uh, it, I thought an inspiring night. It's interesting you say that. You know, I, I wrote a story in helping to promote the event in press box in, in, um, that came out October 15th. And I wrote, the piece I wrote, I remember in my second year, one night doing a scoreboard 
and it was like in early June, and the Cleveland Indians were already like 20-plus games out of first place. And I went on a rant saying, can you imagine what it would be like in Cleveland? They haven't been to the World Series since 1954. They're almost out of it every year. I think we kind of almost assumed, it's not to say we didn't appreciate it at the time, but I think in Baltimore we almost assumed good baseball, competitive baseball, meaningful games in September and October were part of our birthright. We would have never in a million years thought 35 years would go by and we wouldn't have made it back to a World Series. I'll, I'll illustrate that with an anecdote. We won the World Series in 83, yep. and as you mentioned uh, to the listeners, yes, I'm a dentist, uh, and I thought I was going to be a real dentist. I thought yep. that would be my job. I thought that my summer work with the Orioles would expire at some point, and, and um, I'd be some normal Baltimore dentist. And I was at <laughs> being like Doctor Charlie Fine. In the, yes, my dear yeah. friend Doctor Fine, who uh, was my teacher in dental school, and um, and then my colleague. Um, but there was a dental convention over Christmas uh, out in Palm Springs in 1983, and I went to it. <laughs> well, that wasn't that far from L.A. Right. And on New Year's Eve day, mm-hmm. 1983, I drive over to L.A. and um, and I get together with Eddie Murray at the house in which he grew up mm-hmm. uh, on uh, East 108th Street. Uh, in Los Angeles, and we're standing outside his house. Cars are going by, hunking horns, saying hi to him. Everybody knows Eddie. Everybody knows all the Murrays. And, you know, we've just won the World Series, and people are excited. And we're, he has a big bag of peanuts in shells. We're cracking these uh, shells and eating the peanuts. And I remember him standing there saying, yeah, I see no reason why we shouldn't be able to repeat this year. Mm-hmm. If you had told us that we weren't even going to be in a World Series for 35 years, we would have thought you were from the moon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were always good. We were always a contender. Um, you, know, you can rattle off our finishes, you know, call it from 1966 on, and you just wouldn't have believed it. And when, on Wednesday night, when these players all returned, it just felt like a family reunion, including the fans. The fans were part of the family. Uh, I want to ask you on a personal level. You know my history with Eddie. Uh, Eddie and I were actually pretty good friend, friends for my first three or four years on the air in Baltimore. Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, Stan the Fan ran Eddie out of town and all that stuff. What does it mean to Eddie to have been asked back to work for the organization that he started with right now. He seemed to be in an incredible mood the other night. He was here at the Oriole Hall of Fame um, evening b- back in September when uh, they put a couple people in. Uh, what does it mean to Eddie Murray to be back in the fold? Well, I have to be careful not to go too far to speak for him because yeah. he is very much, as you know, his own, own independent man. Yeah. personality. But I feel that... Um, all of us who are in this Orioles diaspora, you know, who have left um, over the years, um, and, and there are a lot, uh, have been watching from all over uh, the country. No, nobody has um, taken any pleasure in the Orioles' misfortune. It's just the opposite. Yep. You know, we're all proud of 
the enduring good name the Baltimore Orioles have had. Um, we know that it's more than an era of Orioles magic. We know that the, the name Orioles has meant something really good, really wholesome uh, in not just Baltimore, but a, a whole Chesapeake region, or as we used to say, the land of pleasant living, you know. And I think that for Eddie, if he could be part of the resurgence, having been part of uh, the last American League champions, the last world champions, you know, what a, what a joy that is. You know, when, when I went to Boston in 2002, you know, we all knew in Baltimore, the, the Boston Red Sox, we all knew the story. Um, it wasn't like we were um, unaware. But I had to go into New England and try to show people why this kid from Baltimore had the dream job that many New Englanders thought was their birthright. You know, I'm, I'm executive vice president of the Boston Red Sox. You know, how's that happening? But you just, immersed yourself in a culture where people were in this this anguish having not won a World Series since 1918. <laughs> and it was all that, that was consuming yeah. New England, it seemed. And when we, um, we got to the postseason in 2003, and if you remember, we go to Game 7 of the ALCS, and Aaron Boone punctures the night with this pennant-winning home run for the Yankees. Now, in Baltimore, we might have said, that was one heck of a season. Right. And, you know, we, we got to Game 7 of the ALCS. It was a great year all the way through. And uh, there's a, a writer who's very familiar with Baltimore, um, now writes for the Atlantic, Steve Buckley. We were in the clubhouse afterwards. It was the silence was deafening. Mm -hmm. We went over into a corner and whispered. I, I said, you know, how would you describe this season? And uh, he said, a disaster. A disaster. <laughs> and, I, and I said, fascinating. <laughs> because how can a year, you have a great year. Right. But, okay, you didn't make it you know, to the World Series. You didn't win the World Series. How can that be a disaster? Yet, that's what it was. Yeah. So, in, in Boston... When we won the World Series the next year, and now we've had you know three after that, you just feel like you are part of a regional surge, resurgence, celebration. And I think that that's what, what I would love for Eddie Murray to feel, to be a part of in coming back to the Orioles. Uh, all of us are, are watching, um, hoping that the Orioles do well, um, because we also know how important the Orioles' success is for the social and cultural happiness of Baltimore. You're absolutely and, you know, we, right. Look, I'm born and raised in Baltimore. Um, I, I know there's the story that my late father knew your late mother, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, in East Baltimore. It's, you know, we all know exactly how we feel. So I think for Eddie, um, having Orioles in his DNA so much, I think he would just love to be part of the of the success, I'm not sure that anybody would love being part of a perpetuation of, of the almost. But to get there, I, I think I would think he would just love that. From afar, Charlie, when you heard the news, I think it was in mid June or early July that the Orioles had come to terms with Brooks Robinson to come home, 
And then that was followed up three weeks later by that announcement that Eddie was coming home. What was the feeling like for you? Did you immediately say, yes, they got that right? Yes, that's exactly right. That is what I thought. Yeah. You know, look, for me personally, Brooks Robinson and Eddie Murray are my two guys. Brooks has been my hero since I was, what, seven, eight? Right. Uh, you know, back when he had the uh, the sports department over at Hamburgers in the Town Road Plaza. <laughs> and I went and... Uh, and you know, met him and got a ball signed. And then he's on uh, at a bank at York and Pedonia. And um, my mom, of blessed memory, takes me there. And uh, he signs his book, uh, the first book, uh, the Brooks Robinson story. Then he's at the Heck Company in Timonium. And I get uh, the Brooks Robinson. Uh, I get uh, was it, so third base is my home. And, um, oh, no, putting it all together. That was the second one. And then third base is my home. And that one's signed too. I mean, these are treasured possessions. We were all little kids. You know, I'm, I'm just one of the millions in Baltimore. I'm just like everybody else who grew up adoring Brooks. So the idea that you have um, uh, kind of fixed the hole that you have, you know, uh, sewn that rip that, that you know Brooks Robinson should always be with the Baltimore Orioles. He is the Baltimore Orioles more than many at the Baltimore Orioles are. I, I used to teach at the Orioles. I was there 19 years. I was there until 95. And I would teach my staff the following. There is no question that Brooks Robinson can ask you, to which the answer is no. <laughs> you do not have the right yep. to say no to Brooks Robinson. He has done more for this team and for this city and for this region and for the lives of, of baseball fans um, than anybody else. And I, I, and I also told them right there with that was Chuck Thompson. You do not have the right. If they, if they need something, if they want something, you go and you get it right then, whatever they need. Um, you know, and you could go on, you know, the late Bill O'Donnell or, of course, Elrod. But, but Brooks is at the top of the mountain. And... Um, you know, it, so when I heard Brooks was coming back, I'm like, it was more of a, uh, an internal release. Like, uh, yeah, good. The, the order is, of the universe. All is, is right. Together. All is right in the world. And by the yeah. way, I, I, I know Lou Angelos a little bit. Yeah. I know John Angelos uh, a lot more. Yeah. And I always had great talks with John Angelos. I, I've mm. had wonderful talks with Mr. and Mrs. Angelos. They're very nice people in, in my dealings with them. And, you know, people can, you know, be um, critics, you know, uh, of, of decisions or attitudes. All I can tell you is my own experience. Yep. And it does not surprise me that John Angelos, um, uh, you know, went and got Brooks Robinson and Eddie Murray back. And maybe it was Lou, too. Yep. Very well could be. I just, I just haven't had as many conversations with Lou. Um, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, they're, they're, they know... They know what Orioles baseball is. We're talking with Charlie Steinberg. Charlie, before I let you go, and I know you flew all night, and I'd love to do a whole 15, 20-minute segment with you in, in the next couple months about this. No, but you're, no you're embarking upon something that's really fascinating. Uh, the Pawtucket Red Sox have been a fixture there uh, in Rhode Island for a long, long time. 
Uh, Larry Lucchino is the primary owner of the team. His group owns the team. You're the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox. After a couple years of uh, back and forth, uh, Larry ended up deciding to move the team to Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, they will play in Pawtucket, what, for two more years and then move to Worcester? Yes, we'll, we'll play in Pawtucket in 19 and 20. And if all goes well, uh, the dream team of Larry Lucchino and Janet Marie Smith, who created Camden <laughs> Yards and who saved Fenway Park, uh, will unveil a new gem and uh, in in Worcester, Massachusetts, about one hour, a little less than an hour, west of Boston. I'm fascinated by this. Now, I just happened to check up on something the other day. On the Internet, how can people find out about this? And I know you probably want the name to be come up, the person who names the team, be from Massachusetts probably, but, but folks could follow it a little bit. Uh, how can they see the contest you have going on to name the new team in Worcester? Well, it's fun. It's uh, at PolarPark.com. Uh, I don't know if you know Polar Beverages. Sure. Uh, polar Seltzer Water. Yep. Polar Water. Uh, that's a Worcester company, a okay. family business. Uh, Ralph Crowley and, and his family are part of it. They've, I think they've had it since the 1880s. Wow. And, and so they jumped right on the naming rights. So it's a, a fun name, Polar Park. Yep. Uh, it, it's coincidental because in Pawtucket, our mascots happen to be two polar bears uh, for a, a story that goes back to the Rhode Island Zoo. So um, polarpark.com is the website for all things related to uh, this team. We will most likely call the formal name of the team the Worcester Red Sox. But when you, just like the Pawtucket Red Sox, are the Pawtucket Red Sox, but for short, you call them the Paw Sox. Paw Sox. So the question is actually... What's the shorthand for the Worcester Red Sox? And is it simply a the, version of it's the po it's Worcester the, Red Sox? It's the Po Sox. It's the Po Sox. P.O. for Polar Bear. P.O. Well, okay. It could be the Po Sox. It yep. could be the Polar Sox. Yep. It could. Now, what some people assumed, but it caused um, a little bit of um, uh, divided opinion, was, well, maybe it's the Woo Sox. Yeah, no, I saw it. I only yeah. that now. So... The, the, in order to beat the Woo Sox, you can't beat it with not the Woo Sox. You have to beat it with something. Yep. So we've been talking about the Wild Sox, the Wonder Sox, the Polar Sox. Now, back in 1882, Worcester was uh, in the National League. In fact, uh, in 1880, uh, they were nationally team. You know, today's National League, which what was founded in 1876, had the Worcester Worcesters. In, uh, in 1880, and a fellow pitched a perfect game. Well, it was the first perfect game in professional baseball history. And what was his so, name? Um, Greenwood. Greenwood. Oh, Lee, huh? not Lee Green, that's the singer. Um, and then I'm not going to tell you. you I'm, 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 I have to remember. No, Richmond. Lee Richmond. Lee Richmond, okay. There's a plaque at Becker College in Worcester about nine colleges in Worcester, 11 in, in the area, uh, that marks the first perfect game. But by 1882, they were either called or about to be called the Ruby Legs. Okay, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because you didn't have the Boston Red Sox yet. Yep. Um, but there is a bit of a play on Ruby re Legs, Red Sox. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, maybe... Um, 
you know, maybe it's the ruby lace. Ruby, so was, or the ruby socks. The ruby socks. It could be the ruby socks. Um, so what would you call them for short? You yep. know, the Worcester Red Sox, but you're not going to say the Red Sox because you're going to confuse it with the Boston yep, Red Sox. Yep, yep. Uh, so at polarpark.com, we're taking suggestions. Yeah, it's a contest. Uh, there's a, there will be a, uh, a shortened ballot in a week or so uh, of maybe the top six or seven names. Um, but, you know, there's, there are arguments for alliteration. Um, that's where we get to the wild socks, the wonder socks. Uh, there are arguments for history. That's when you get to the ruby legs or the ruby socks. Uh, so it's, it's designed to be fun. It's designed to be participatory. Really, no, I, I would say the, the, the one with the most um, appropriate or clever name doesn't have to be from Massachusetts. We have Red Sox fans all over the world. You know what happens at Camden Yards. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and by the way, that's not a new thing. When, when I was young going to Oriole games at Memorial Stadium, why are all these people cheering for the Red Sox? You know, more so than, than, than the Yankee fans traveled. So you've got Red Sox fans all over. And it was a really difficult decision because um, Pawtucket is part of baseball's vocabulary. The only thing Pawtucket, I think, means to baseball fans is the AAA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Yep. You know, exactly the same as Rochester was for us in Baltimore. Yep. What was our affiliation? What, 41 years Something or so? like that, yep. And by the way, the two, Rochester and Pawtucket, played the longest game in professional baseball history in 1981, I remember. 33 innings. Then Cal Ripken and, and, uh, and Wade, Wade Boggs. Boggs were in that game. Yep. Yes. So we didn't mean to have it end up that we were moving. We thought we were staying. But there was a, um, you didn't have the same, the, the mayor of Pawtucket is wonderful, Mayor Grebian. And I'm sure each elected in the state is fine, but you didn't see the state working together in harmony with the city saying, how do we get this done? Whereas in Worcester, you saw uh, the city manager, Ed Augustus, um, who's a hero in this story, because yep. uh, he negotiated with Larry Lucchino for a year, you can imagine how arduous that, that, that must have be. been some process, yeah. And and Governor Charlie Baker and particularly Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito. And what's interesting about the story was Massachusetts and Worcester worked together in harmony, seamlessly, mm-hmm. saying, Let's get this done. And as a side note, in today's society, I think it is noteworthy. You had a Republican state administration, a Democratic city administration working together beautifully. Great story. I saw the lieutenant governor yesterday. I said, you know, this is a story. This is a national story. Republicans, Democrats working together and getting it done, doing economic development that's absolutely undeniable. And look, we, we know it because everybody in Baltimore knows the impact that Camden Yards has had on Maryland. So it. You know, but you get you know people chirping around. Well, oh, it doesn't do anything. Yes, it does. Of course, it does. We know it does. We've all lived it. You know, but if you haven't lived it, you don't know. So it's um, it's a real opportunity a- to do something really good. And for Pawtucket, we want to continue to embrace that city because it is so close to Worcester that it remains part of our market. 
I hear you. I hear you. It's a fa- it is a fascinating story and one I can tell already that you've got great passion for, and I'm excited to see this uh, develop over the next couple of years. I'll reach out to you soon, Charlie. Thanks so much for joining us and talking about the great 83 evening with the Baltimore Orioles, the reunion of the 1983 Baltimore Orioles. Well, you and Scott Garceau did a great job. It really felt like a, a touch of home and a taste of home, and I send my love to everybody in my hometown. All right. Thank you for coming on the show, and it was great that you were part of it. Take care. All right. Thanks. Take All right. There you go, Charles, Dr. Charles Steinberg. Started out as a dentist, and it uh, veered from there into quite a career in uh, professional sports. All right. Um, And he's really had a remarkable career. There's a book ready to be written about Dr. Charles Steinberg. All right. We're going to take a final timeout, and as we go into that timeout, I just want to remind you again, Monday night at the Costas Inn is Crab Cake Night. Tuesday night is Rib Night. Wednesday night is Steak Night. Thursday night is Lobster Night, and Friday night, Petrie and Tafalos and the kitchen come up with a whole bank of specials. 4100 North Point Boulevard out there in the heart of Dundalk, the Costas Inn since 1971. Great family atmosphere, great food, great service, I guarantee a great time. The Costas Inn, we love the Tree and Tafalos family. They've been a part of Stan the Fan and Press Box since all the way back in 1995 when I met the Triantophilos family. Love them to death. Having dinner out there tonight. Check them out. The Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time pro bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Orioles podcast around. Look forward to listening every week. These guys are coconuts, and if that's not enough reason to listen, they are a great listener if you want Orioles talk, even during the offseason. If you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well, and check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at LoopLeague.com. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A One online or through your app. And while I've got your attention, please remember Chick-fil-A Catering. It's a real live crowd pleaser. In fact, order twice as much as you think you'll need. Trust me. Go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Tell him I sent you. If you need help downloading your app, don't ask Steve, but he'll know someone who can help. Chick-fil-A One. Get food. Earn more free food. All right, we are back on the battle round and uh, about to say goodbye. Before we do, want to remind you that tomorrow morning you'll be in, Kyle, with uh, Sarita Hubbard and, and No, Casey. Casey will not be in studio, but we'll talk to him over the phone for one segment. Okay, so, uh, so tomorrow, 10 to 12, indeed. the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Then at halftime, uh, uh, Glenn Clark will be on for about 15 minutes uh, at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. And then... After the game, uh, Sarita Hubbard will join Glenn Clark for post-game edition of Project Game Day, and it's all brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Glenn Clark Radio back Monday through what's, a, what's your schedule this week? Uh, we are debating whether or not we're going to do a show Friday. It might be dependent on the uh, Ravens' performance tomorrow. Okay, so, uh, but definitely Monday through Monday Wednesday. Monday Wednesday will for sure have Glenn Clark Radio. As Thursday right. we will be taking the day off and potentially Friday. All right, uh, and we'll remind you that we'll be back here next Saturday. Same time, same place. Kyle Ottenheimer for Adam Gladstone. I'm Stan the Fan. Enjoy your weekend.